Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 198, recorded Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. This is the podcast giving the voice of the traveler. It's more about the journey than the destination. Just one topic on this edition of the Travel Commons Podcast, London Vacation Rental Woes. So coming to you today from the Travel Commons studios in Nashville, Tennessee, after an extended holiday break that had us in the UK for the back half of November, the first week in Dorset on the South Coast, doing a bit of muddy hiking and then knocking about London the second week. As I mentioned a few episodes back, Irene and I took British Airways direct flights between Nashville and Heathrow. Our flights were on 787s, but apparently now the uh, this route is popular enough for BA that they've announced that they're upgaging it to 777s. Interesting, given that Nashville is not a hub airport, something that I absolutely can vouch for. I've talked about that in uh, in earlier episodes about the transition from living in a what in effect is a triple hub in Chicago down to a zero hub in Nashville. Uh, but anyhow, I, I, you know, on that flight, I had what I, I would tell you has become my standard flight to Nashville moment, helping a guy rearrange the overhead bin so he could fit his guitar in. Uh, now, I'm not sure if there are enough musicians to fill the extra seats for a triple seven, but music tourists, bachelorette parties, uh, you know, I don't know. But I got to tell you, the Nashville airport will need to get their new international baggage claim halls sorted out before then. When we arrived, we were told to get our luggage and then go to the immigration line, uh, pretty much the exact opposite of every other international arrival flow I've ever done. Uh, There was only one global entry terminal, and it was over by the luggage belt rather than by the immigration line. So we all queued up for it while we waited for our luggage to arrive. And we had enough time because after a 45-minute wait and a lot of air tag checking, we finally grabbed our bags, headed over finally to immigration, went to the global entry line, which actually seemed to act like a clear line for TSA. We got a line cut to the next immigration agent, but still had to go through all the questions and photo taking. It was weird, inefficient, very unlike my recent arrivals at O'Hare and Newark. I, I don't know. Maybe they just need like more repetitions, more reps to work out the kinks of the new uh, of the new hall. Or maybe they need to bring in a more experienced manager. Whatever it is, they need to fix it up before these bigger jets and more people start to show up. Now, after that jaunt in November, we've pretty much stayed put with our spare bedroom being on the receiving end of travel. Our daughter Claire was here for a couple of weeks over Christmas and New Year's. We had one couple who'd never been to Nashville before. I know, amazing. Uh, And then two other couples for whom Nashville, handily enough, was about you know, eight hours down the road on their first day of driving to someplace. Now, you could say, great chance to be a tourist in our own town, but it's more about being the tour guide, which in Nashville kind of comes with the responsibility of having informed opinions about things like where's the best hot chicken joint, what are the best Broadway honky-tonks. Now, Nashville's Hot Chicken Week was a couple of weeks ago. It gave me an excuse, as if I needed one, to buy the jumbo jar of Mylanta and hit every hot chicken joint I could to figure out the best, which for me 
is Red 615 Kitchen in the West End, in case anybody's interested. I can't say, though, that I've been that meticulous about my honky-tonk opinions. I mean, one can only dodge just so many bachelorette parties and watch only so many cover bands. And then, you know, now i got to keep up finding new cool places to take our visitors the next time they pass through town. I'm telling you, this, this tour guide thing, it could be a bit exhausting. So following up, well, the lead topic for the last episode of the Travel Commons podcast was renting a Tesla, where I finally relented to Hertz's incessant email offers, I don't know, please on their knees. And I did that in November. We, we talked about that. Uh, two months later now, Hertz announces that they're selling off a third of their EV fleet, 20,000 of them. So paging through HertzCarsales.com, I saw that it's mostly Tesla Model 3s with a few Model Ys and Chevy Bolts sprinkled in. I was a little surprised when I read it because Hertz had been hitting their fleet electrification message just so hard. But now, looking back on some of my observations in the last episode, the EV aisle at Logan Airport full up with, I don't know, 10 to 12 Tesla Model 3s and a couple of Polestars, the guys working there being so nonchalant about battery levels and car conditions, you know, I guess the clues were there if I was looking for them. But someone was driving these cars. Half of the EVs on uh, HertzCarsales.com have thirty to 60,000 miles on them, which feels heavy for a fleet of 18-month-old cars, even if they are rental cars. I mean, if nothing else, this whole thing will cut my Hertz email traffic way down. One more thing on EVs. On that same topic in the last episode, I talked about the hassle of charging an EV, not range anxiety. I was only driving 20 miles from Logan, but the effort to find a charger and then the time it took me to charge the battery. Now, in London, we stayed in an, I tell you, an okay neighborhood between King's Cross Station and Clerkenwell, kind of a typical urban landscape of walk-up apartment buildings and cars parked bumper to bumper along the curb. Walking down the sidewalk the first day there, I saw a cord coming out of a parked car. I mean, I looked at it. Where the hell is that going? I looked down at my feet. It wasn't running across the sidewalk into a building. No, it was plugged into the base of the street light. Pretty clever and necessary since none of those folks living in these flats had a garage to charge in. Back in November, right after I dropped the last episode in which I talked about my turboprop to Sioux City, Iowa as the aha moment justifying the price of my first pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones, the Wall Street Journal ran an article about how Sioux City, Iowa is embracing the three-letter code for their airport, SUX. And it reminded me again of that flight back in the mid-90s. The agent handed me the boarding pass. This was the age before smartphones. Um, SUX sucks? Is this a joke, I asked? She just shrugged. I think she had heard it before. A lot. 
anyhow, I, I, I think that Dash 8 was the smallest prop plane United Express flew. We stopped first in Waterloo, Iowa, where almost everyone else got out of the plane there for a big John Deere plant. Uh, after the flight attendant buttoned the door back up, she gave the rest of us a look and then pointed us to new seats, kind of eyeball on the weight distribution, moving some of the bigger guys to seats behind the wing. The airport codes for that flight, O'Hare, O-R-D, to Waterloo, A-L-O, to S-U-X, Hello to sucks. I don't know. Could be fun. Could have been better if the plane had swung through Grand Rapids, code GRR for grr, it sucks. Uh, an itinerary starting in Fresno, FAT, would have given us the non-body positive fat sucks. Or a much more unlikely flight, Singapore, S-I-N, to Sioux City, for the much more righteous sin sucks. Look, I could go on, but (laughs) for your sake, I won't. Uh, It's getting painful even for me. Apparently, back at the turn of the century, the 21st century, that is, uh, Sioux City asked the FAA for a new airport code. They had just... Guess they weren't loving sucks. Uh, for <laughs> the airport's officially named Sioux Gateway Airport. So uh, the, the FAA offered him up GWU, which for anybody from DC would be George. Why am I going? To, why am I flying to George Washington University? Anyhow, the FAA offered up GWU SGV. I guess for Sioux Gateway V. I don't know what V stands for. Um, and GAY Gay. Um, which I, I I still don't know what that's to <laughs> They got that one out of there either. But anyhow, uh, the uh, Sioux City said, ah, no, that's okay. We'll just keep SUX. And then people started building businesses selling SUX merch. Winter sucks. Work sucks. And probably the most apropos, it sucks to lose your luggage. With all the betting around the Super Bowl, the Vegas lines, every party selling squares, I circled back around to something I saw back in September, an app called Wingman. They call themselves a flight delays prediction market. So betting on flight delays, you know, actually sounds like it could be fun, especially when watching the departure board at O'Hare or LaGuardia. So digging past the headline, I found out that it's a Web3 blockchain dApp, you know, decentralized application. Uh, Not sure if it could be any more buzzword compliant uh, using and it's using some crypto tokens I've never heard of, which maybe lets them swerve gambling laws. I don't know. As it is, uh, I, I didn't end up giving Wingman a spin. It required connecting a crypto wallet to the app, which I just don't have and probably never will. Uh, Look, I mean, I'm the guy who keeps talking about using cash. So me with a crypto wallet, I don't see that one happening. Anyhow, looking at a site called Dapp Radar, which claims to track 15,000 of these distributed apps, it looks like Wingman had a moment of hotness back in September after its burst of announcement publicity. Uh, It ended up having, I don't know, five, six, 700 transactions. But then in the new year, this year, 2024, it's had a few days of maybe a handful of transactions, like less than 10, but most days, nothing. I don't know. Disappointing. Absolutely. For me, I thought, I don't know. I was hoping that this could be a new way to fund my flight delay bar tabs. 
And hey, if you've got any travel stories, questions, comments, tips, rants, the voice of the traveler, send them along to comments, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at travelcommons.com. You can always send a Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it this week, uh, one of those things, uh, a message to M. Peacock. Post your thoughts on the Travel Commons Facebook page or the Instagram account at Travel Commons, or you can skip just all that social media stuff and post your comments on the website at travelcommons.com. So there's just one topic on today's Travel Commons podcast, London vacation rental woes. Listeners who follow me on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter know that I had one of my worst short-term rental experiences during our London trip uh, with Booking.com. And I'll talk about what I learned from that in a moment, but it got me thinking about vacation rentals just in general. I mean, for the longest time, it was a local mom and pop business, typically in vacation areas, ski resorts, beach towns. You called or you stopped by a local realtor or, or somebody you knew who knew the area, recommended a place, and then you rented it from the owners direct. I mean, friends who rent beach houses on the East Coast tell me they've had the same renters for the same week in June, July, August for years. But then Airbnb started up in 2008, first as a platform to rent out spare rooms. I mean, how many of us remember couchsurfing.com? Uh, but it quickly moved to home rentals, and it moved home rentals out of its mom-and-pop vacation spot model to, in many cities, what's become sort of a parallel hotel market. Now, I'm not deep in urban planning or in rental market dynamics, so I'm not going to get into the pluses and minuses of short-term rentals and how they impact the housing market. You can get all of that and more with a simple Google search. Maybe I'm old school or just old, but my use of short-term rentals is pretty much the same now as it was pre-Airbnb. When it's a bigger group, and we need more space to spread out than a hotel can give you. Now, I also enjoy being able to stay in neighborhoods where there aren't hotels to be able to sort of dig deeper into a city. But I also know that that can be, you know, not great for the people who live in those neighborhoods. A couple of years back, we and another family booked into a flat in the Trastevere neighborhood in Rome. I probably butchered that pronunciation, but I'm not Italian. I mean, it was a great flat on a great street. I mean, really, really enjoyed the neighborhood and the time that we were able to spend in that neighborhood with our friends, sort of being able to, you know, spend time in some place other than a restaurant or a hotel bar. You know, I don't know, catching up while trying to figure out the espresso machine or trying to translate the manual for the washer-dryer combo. I mean, it was all good. But looking across the landing to the other apartment on the floor, there was a sign taped to the door in Italian and sort of Google-translated English saying, basically, keep quiet, keep it down. You could tell the people living in this building weren't having a great time or were not loving the situation across the way from them. And there's also this story our friends tell of when a condo in their building in Lincoln Park on the north side of Chicago was listed on Airbnb. And one night while at dinner, looking out their window, they could see a porn movie being filmed there. It kind of kind of put them off their meal. Look, there's loads of vacation rental horror stories, but actually not for me. 
looking through my trip histories on Airbnb and Verbo, I've really had a good run, a great beach place in San Diego, a, a, a really neat tiny house in Durango, Colorado. I've talked about that on a prior episode, a walk up in Brooklyn's Carroll Gardens neighborhood, and most recently, a flat in Split, Croatia with a balcony where I could drink my morning coffee watching the sailboats head out to the harbor. All good, all good experiences, except for London. Two years ago, November 2021, we were heading over to the UK for a couple of weeks, and we were starting in London. The morning we were leaving, I don't know, maybe five hours before we were headed out to the airport, we get an email from our Booking.com host. Uh, So sorry, but a water pipe broke in the apartment, so we have to cancel your stay that starts tomorrow. Wait, wait, what? I mean, did I read that right? I read it again. Yep, I read it right. We have no place to stay when we land in London tomorrow morning. Now, luckily, it was just Irene and me, so we didn't need sprawl space. So I quickly pivoted from packing socks and underwear to logging into Marriott.com to book a room before our Uber showed up, which I did. I found one at the Malcolm East near Shoreditch. The last-minute booking was definitely more expensive than the uh, than the vacation rental, but I was a lot more confident that it had a uh, working toilet and shower. That and, well, I got free breakfast with my titanium status. Fast forward to this trip. With our daughter joining us, we definitely needed sprawl space, uh, a vacation rental. Now, given our last experience, that uh, you know, that uh, last-minute uh, cancellation, we we decided to give ourselves a five-month head start. I'm booking a place in June for a November stay. I found a good place in London, booked it on Airbnb. But ten days later, I get a morning email canceling our reservation. But this time, it was from Airbnb saying the property we booked doesn't appear to be legitimate. Right after that, I get another email from the property owner this time asking me to book direct with him and to send the full payment via bank transfer. So, you know, he's asking me, yeah, send me a couple of thousand bucks in June for a November stay. And this is a guy you know I've never heard of before. I've never dealt with him before and for whom I could not find any other information, a property website, LinkedIn profile, social media presence. Hmm, felt just a little bit scammy, so I took a pass. Not not the last time, though, that I would get this request and have to make this decision. Then Irene took over, and that afternoon she booked a flat on Booking.com. Fast forward to the beginning of November now. We're starting to get geared up for the trip, and, well, I don't know, we think maybe we should check the status of our booking. Huh. Booking.com has a new note on our reservation saying, our reservation can't be paid through them. That's interesting. So we ping the property owner. What gives? We get back, honestly, a blistogram of an email, not aimed at us, but at booking.com. Their fees are so high and they're awful to work with. I told them to cancel all reservations. Hmm. Our reservation is still there. So it sounds like somebody didn't follow up on it. But it also doesn't sound like we've got a good chance of getting into that flat if we showed up. So Irene canceled that reservation and booked a different flat. From whom, a couple of days later, we get an email asking us to cancel our Booking.com reservation and book directly with them with a full payment via bank transfer. (laughs) This is starting to sound like a pattern. Now, 
They're forced into this going off platform, they wrote, because London limits short-term rentals to 60 days a year. And Booking.com tracks that. A quick Google search told me that London's limit is 90 days, not 60. Not looking to dunk on these folks, but, you know, you'd think an experienced host that 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 would be an important number that they would get right. So a little bit of doubt crept in. I don't know. Decided just to take another pass on sending a stranger a couple of thousand dollars with no fraud protection. So I searched for another place in the same neighborhood and find one on booking. I hit the book button and pretty quickly get back a confirmation from Travel Nest, a vacation rental property management company. Good. No more asking me to book direct. They send me the contact info for the property owner so I can coordinate arrival logistics. I send the guy an email. It bounces. I send text to him and WhatsApp messages. Crickets. I go back to Travel Nest. Oh, don't worry. We'll contact him, they say. With what? The same email that bounced? The same phone number that he apparently hasn't checked? Oh, don't worry. He'll turn up. Uh, All right. I got other things to worry about. And for this trip, London was the second week. So we had time. So at the end of the first week, like I said before, we were hiking and walking and drinking beer down in Dorset on the South Coast. Toward the end of that, I hadn't heard anything and started to worry. So I started pinging Booking.com and Travel Nest, sending emails, calling. Nothing solved, but every time I talked to someone, it was, oh, don't worry, we'll take care of it. We'll take care of you. Uh, I'm not going to go through every call. Maybe I'll put those details on a Twitter thread. But I spent probably five to six hours over three days on calls with these people. And the problem, my problem, boiled down to this. We were past the cancellation deadline. Booking.com viewed Travel Nest as their property owner, not this, you know, missing in action, this MIA owner. And Travel Nest didn't want to cancel the reservation and lose the revenue, you know, in hopes that this owner would show up at the last minute. Now, you know, you guys know where this is going. Tuesday morning, we're driving up to London Heathrow from Bournemouth to drop off the Hertz car, and ping goes the Booking.com app. It's a message from Travel Nest. I am very sorry to let you know that the owner of the property you booked via Travel Nest cannot accommodate your upcoming booking. This is due to the host having stopped advertising their property through Travel Nest, and we don't have any alternatives to offer you. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, they're just now figuring out that the guy stopped using them. I mean, they couldn't have checked that during one of those five to six hours of calls a few days ago. Man, so we dropped the car off, took the shuttle bus over to Heathrow Terminal 2. Irene and Claire grabbed a coffee while I got on the phone to Booking.com and spent another hour looking for an alternative place to stay. Oh, I'm so sorry, but don't worry, we'll take care of you, is how the call started. But they didn't. They couldn't find us a replacement property in the part of London we needed to be. So, honestly, I ran the same play as I did two years ago. Fired up Marriott.com, found us a room for the night, then splurged for a black cab instead of the cheaper Heathrow Express so that Claire and I could work our Airbnb apps 
<laughs> given up on booking.com now. Uh, but we ended up working our Airbnb apps to try and find a place for the rest of our time in London, which we did. But it took us about three tries to finally get one to stick. So out of this whole shit show, what did I learn? First, the London short-term vacation rental market just, I don't know, it just seems to be broken. There were so many properties on Booking.com and Airbnb that showed availability, but when we touched them, when we went to book them, they really weren't. All told, it took us six booking attempts before we finally got one to stick, before we finally got a place that we could go and actually walk in the door. I've never had that happen in any other place. Second, there's, I don't know, there's something wrong with the group that runs Booking.com short-term rentals. Irene uses, well, well, I don't know, used Booking.com a lot for hotel bookings, and we've never had a problem. But vacation rentals, every bad experience that I've had with a vacation rental has been a Booking.com property. Now, as you might guess, we won't be using them again. But I, I, it just it puzzles me what's going on there. Did they buy a company and you know just spray paint Booking.com on it, and they just haven't integrated it? I don't know what's going on there. The third thing I learned is immediately cancel a reservation when a third party like Travel Nest pops up. Look, those folks don't value you, the traveler. Their customer, their client, is the property owner. And when things go sideways, they just get in the way, like Travel Nest did. They just got in the way when this problem cropped up. And you know they didn't solve it. They were just another point of failure. So the point is, don't let anyone get between the booking platform, Airbnb and Verbo, and the final property owner. That makes the platform own the problem. Well, that, and I, I, I guess there is actually a fourth thing that I learned. Don't trust anyone when they say, oh, don't worry, we'll take care of you. All right, that's it. That's the end of Travel Commons podcast number 198. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, uh, even though it was, I don't know, a little bit of a downer talking about vacation rental woes, but... Uh, if uh, if we all learn something out of it, I guess it's okay. <laughs> As always, you can find us and listen to us on all the main podcast sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Amazon Music. Uh, used to be Google Podcasts, but I guess now they've discontinued that, and now all of that is moving to YouTube Music. But you actually can listen to Travel Commons on YouTube. I think the I think the name though somebody already had the name Travel Commons, so I think the name I've used for that account is Travel Commons Podcast. So anyhow, it's there. I'll put a link to it, and. All that being said, you, you can always ask Alexa, Siri, or Google to play Travel Commons on your smart speakers. You, uh, you can click on the link in this episode's description in your podcast app or get to the show notes page at travelcommons.com for a transcript of the episode and links to items that I've mentioned in the podcast. If you're not subscribed, there's a drop-down subscribe menu at the top of the Travel Commons homepage. And also along the sides of the page, you'll find links to all the Travel Commons socials. 
If you've got a story, thought, comment, gripe, the voice of the traveler, send them along. Text or audio file to comments, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at TravelCommons.com and Peacock on Twitter. Write them on the Travel Commons page on Facebook or Instagram or post them at the website, TravelCommons.com. Thanks to everyone who's taken the time to send in emails, tweets, post comments on the website. I really do appreciate it. And until we talk again, safe travels. And thanks for stopping by the Travel Commons. Bye now.